Turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to begin reading in verse 85. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 85. The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. I'm going to preach a message just missed. Just missed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that as I preach, your word would go forth in power. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would convict for those that are without Christ of their need for the Son of God. Bring them to the Savior, we pray, for the saved. Dear God, may we we find ourselves challenged, even chastened at times, and corrected that, Lord, we would be the people that you desire for us to be for your glory. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you are old enough to remember back into the 1960s where there was a comedy. It was a spoof of all the spy shows that were going on back in the 1960s. It was called Get Smart. How many remember that? Anybody remember that? I know it's probably on some of those off-brand networks that are out there today. But one of, the, one of the famous sayings of Maxwell Smart, the guy who was uh, the funny guy in the show, uh, was, miss me by this much. And then, of course, it would have some kind of funny outcome along with that. Uh, that's basically the idea of almost. It's something that almost happened, but didn't actually happen. And you don't want to be on the wrong side, of course, of the almost It was Super Bowl 34, January the 30th, the year 2000. Football in this millennium. And it was a championship game between the Tennessee Titans and the St. Louis Rams. Now, back when I was growing up, the Rams were out of Los Angeles in football. And then, of course, later on down the line, it used to be the St. Louis Rams. And, of course, now they're back in L.A. today, and who cares? I don't care at all. But the point is, in that game, it was one of the most exciting of all the Super Bowl games that have ever been played. In that game, the, uh, the St. Louis Rams got off to a rather fast start. They scored 16 points. They were ahead 16 to nothing at the end of the first half. Then getting into the second half, finally, the Titans seemed to come alive a little bit, and they chipped their way back to where with just about two minutes and six seconds to go, something like that, Al Del Greco, the kicker for the Tennessee Titans, put one through the uprights and tied the score at 16 to 16. So the Titans kicked off to the Rams. The Rams got the ball on their first play from scrimmage, Kurt Warner, who became the first NFL quarterback playing in his first year as a starter to win the Super Bowl. Now, that probably doesn't mean anything to you either. But since it's football season, it's good to get it in there. He goes back for a pass. He throws a pass to, uh, let's see, uh, I thought I wrote the name down. It doesn't make any difference who caught it. But the guy caught it, went all the way for a touchdown. 
So now they're ahead 23 to 16. The Titans get the ball. They've got less than two minutes to play. The best they can hope for right now is a tie ball game. And Steve McNair, the Titans quarterback, begins moving them down the field. But the clock is ticking. They get down to the 10-yard line, six seconds to go, time running out. McNair goes back for a quick pass. He throws it. The guy catches the ball, Kevin Dyson. It looks like a sure score. The game's going to be tied up. But the linebacker for the uh, St. Louis Rams, the linebacker for the Rams catches the guy at the three and stops him at the one. How many of you remember that game? Anybody remember that game? They're becoming fewer and fewer of us. <laughs> so you understand that the Rams won that game by this much. Now, that was an exciting game. The Titans almost got it, but the point is they didn't get it. You know, life is made up of an awful lot of almost this much. I mean, you hear people say, I almost had a wreck. A bunch of you have been there. I almost landed that job. I almost had a hole in one. I almost caught the biggest fish I've ever had on the line. Every fisherman has said that at some time or another. I've had some almost in my life. I'm sure I can't recount them all. But one of those that I remember the best was when I was playing uh, high, uh, high school baseball. And I ended up playing college baseball for a little while and then realized I wasn't going any farther with that. So it's time to come up with something else for my life. But uh, one, of my, one of my goals, one of the things I really longed to do that I thought was one of the neatest things in baseball to do was as an outfielder to be running after a ball that's been hit and at the last moment diving and catching it. I just, I longed to do that. I had my opportunity in 1967. We were playing Albion High School in Albion, Michigan. And I was playing left field. There was a left-handed batter up. He hit a line drive down the left field line, and it was curving away from me. I take off, man. I am running all out. I cross the foul line, and I can see the ball. I can see the ball right now as well as I could right then, which is probably why I missed it. But anyway, I dove for that ball stretched out just like they taught us to do. And I can still remember seeing that ball go just off the end of the glove. I almost had, Brother Larry, the greatest catch of my life. But I didn't. But it makes for a good illustration to go along with the message. You know, the word almost is found 12 times in the Bible. But four times the almost is used and it refers to very important times and decisions in life. These are the times that you'd better be on the right side of the almost in your life. Some really don't matter much. Me not catching that ball, let's face it, that didn't shape my baseball career at all. I still wouldn't have been good enough to play with the professionals. In the passage that we read, this is one of those places where he says in verse 87, they had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts to be almost consumed. Why? There were people who didn't like him. There were people who hated him. There were people who had plotted against him and he was almost 
consumed. And then he gives a reason why he wasn't. He says, but I forsook not thy precepts. People were attacking him as far as he was concerned without cause. Now, I'm sure that if you were to ask them, they would have said, yes, we have a reason to attack him. We hate him. It's just like the people, for instance, with Jesus. They attacked him. They wanted him dead. And they had reasons they thought were valid reasons, but they were wrong. But they wanted him dead. You can be the greatest, nicest person ever. I mean, after all, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only perfect man to ever walk on the planet. He healed people. He taught wonderful things. He came to save them from their sins. And they wanted him dead. Matter of fact, that type of thing happens all the time through social media and these social media terrorists who somebody says something bad about somebody and everybody else automatic, automatically believes it and don't think they don't think that that person that's being talked about has any right to live and they hound them to death. And many people have been led to commit suicide for being treated like that. Absolutely horrendous. Now, I'll tell you who the horrendous people really are. It's those on the Internet who believe everything they read about other people and then feel like you've got to put your two cents worth in when you don't really even have a clue what's going on. That was extra, that was free, take it for what it's worth and maybe it'll help you. If you stand for anything, no matter how much you want to help people or try to help people, there are some people who are going to hate you. And if you can't live with that, then just don't do anything for anybody and then no one will even know about you. But that's reality. That's the way it is today. By the way, there are some people in church that will hate you. There are some people who are believers who will hate you. That is life. The Apostle Paul had to deal with an Alexander the coppersmith. John the Baptist had to deal with Herodias and Salome, uh, her daughter. The Bible tells us we all have an enemy. He says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If you're going to live for God, there are people who would want you, who would want your church and your marriage and your children to all fail. Say, how can people be like that? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. That's where it started. With the fall of man. You say, that's not right. I know, but man's not been right since the fall. Why would we expect him to be any better today than what he's ever been? You might think, well, what's the use? Why continue? What's the point? By the way, in this passage, the point was, notice he says, I was almost consumed upon the earth, or they had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. You want to... Not be consumed by all the bad that's on the planet, all the bad that can be directed toward you, no matter what good you try to do, then you better get stuck on God's word. God's word is right. God's word is true. And don't be an idiot and give up on right because somebody doesn't like you. Somebody has hurt your feelings. Somebody has offended you. Get stuck on the word of God and stay there. As a matter of fact, if you go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus gives us a pretty good understanding of where our problems lie in these things. In Matthew, chapter 7, this is 
the last chapter dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5, goes through chapter 7. Notice in verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, by the way, that's describing the psalmist right here. The psalmist, no matter what was going on, no matter what storm was going on in his life, he had committed himself to God's word. He was going to stick by it. Notice the description of the wise man. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. When the storms of life came, he was stuck on the word of God. Then you look at the next verse and it says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What's the difference between these two men? One had a commitment based on the word of God. The other didn't. They both heard it. They both knew what it said, but one man had a commitment to the word of God. This book is true. This book is right. This book is the mind of God. It is the will of God. And it will help us to live in an imperfect world and a world where there are people with evil designs on just about everything that's good. You can stick by this book. What's the use? Hey, there's a heaven and a hell. That's what's the use. God talks about both of them. God warns us about everything. Matter of fact, he even warned the disciples in John chapter 16. He says, the time cometh when they that killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. That there have been times throughout church history where Christians have been so hated by those that would not trust Christ as their savior that the Christians were put to death and the people who did it thought they were serving God. Now, they weren't serving God, but they thought they were. Here the psalmist can say, I had these enemies attacking me. They had pretty much gotten me, but I decided I'm not going to forsake God's word. Listen to me. As a pastor, as a counselor, I have to deal with people who are so broken and they're hurt by people. And sometimes they're hurt by Christians. So much so that they just want to chuck it in. They want to say enough. I'm just going to do all that I want to do and just let the results just come as they may. Man, don't do it. God's word is true during the good times and it's just as true during the bad times. You can stick with God's word. The psalmist made his decision. I forsook not thy precepts. There's somebody here going through it and man, you're down. First of all, let me tell you, you're not the first one to go through it. There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, so says the word of God. You're not the first one to have a hard time. And I'll guarantee you're not the first one on the planet that is going through uh, what you're going through right now. I'm talking about very similar situations. I don't care what it is you're going through. Trials and troubles have happened to everybody. And all of our problems have been repeated in others over and over again. But God has an answer. And his answer is, thus saith the Lord. So here is one who was almost consumed. Turn over to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And look at verse 2. He says, but as for me, 
My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Now here is one who is almost confused. Notice he starts out this psalm by saying, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And then he says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now here Asaph, notice it's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was reacting to a specific problem in much the same way he did. He did. His problem was he was reasoning all this stuff out in his own mind. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 declares, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now I want you to understand that in those two verses there, in Proverbs chapter 3, you've got three commands for us and one thing that God promises to do. He says, first of all to us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Number two, lean not unto your own understanding. Why? Your understanding is flawed. The Bible says it's a fool that trusteth his own heart. The Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end are of the ways of death. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. That is so foreign to our society today because society today says it's all about me. It's about my joy, my happiness, my wants, my fulfillment. And dear friend, you can't do it living for yourself. Everything you're going to find is only going to be temporary. You want the joy that is eternal. Then it's God that must come first. Then he shall direct thy paths. That's what it says. As a matter of fact, as you look at this one who almost slipped because of his confusion, you get down to verses 12 and 13. And he said, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have washed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. I mean, he's troubled. Because he's reasoned something that isn't coming out like he thought it should. And he says, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against a generation of men. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Then you get to verse 17. And here's where it all turns around for him. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You see, he was trying to reason it all out. How is it that the wicked, man, they've got the fast cars, they've got the big houses. I mean, they got the beautiful people. They're hanging around. They're with the jet set. They're buying their own, own, uh, own airplanes and their big yachts. And man, they are living wickedly. What is going on? Hey, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. What they get here, they only get for a little while. Do you realize all that they get here, it's going to burn. And if they don't have Christ as their Savior, they're going to burn too. So I'm not going to envy them. I'm not going to envy them. And by the way, the kids, they end up producing. Because most of those are so goofed up in their heads and minds because money doesn't keep people straight. Matter of fact, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It didn't say money was the root. It says the love of it is the root of all evil, which is why so many young people brought up in moneyed homes are so goofed up. What a shame. 
we often become confused and we try to figure out things on our own. And there is a reason that God tells us to put all our trust in him. God will work it out. God's got it down. It's, it's always interested me, being from Michigan, that over in Detroit, Michigan, with all the financial problems they've had, you know that whole city just about went under not too long ago. But isn't it strange that throughout the years, all the years of my life, it has been a sinkhole for money and corruption, and people keep putting the same people in office. And you're thinking, don't they think? What's wrong with these people? You go to Chicago, same thing. I mean, one of the murder cat it's not the murder capital today, but believe me, it's far greater than what it's ever been. Keep putting the same people in office, same failed policy, same all that. Why do they do it? People can't think. You know why they can't think? They haven't submitted themselves to God's word. They are confused about all kinds of things. They just don't get it. It seems like the wicked ones get the big bucks out of the system, and that's not fair. But we need to understand some things. First of all, according to 2 Timothy 2, 7, that there, are, there is a, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, there is a mystery of iniquity that is working. But hey, the time's coming. The devil and all that follow him are going to get their dues. It's coming. Jesus is coming back. Now you can count on it. And the devil and all his imps and all that serve him cannot stop them. Their defeat is already assured. When Christ cried out, it is finished. He paid the full debt. Praise the Lord for that. Not only that, the world does not always get by. They have an end. And not only that, there's more to life than material and physical prosperity. Usually the people that are the happiest are the people who deal in relationships that are right and pure and clean. I mean, they get to enjoy life. I, I look back over my years. Yeah, I've not been anywhere close to the richest individual in any block I've lived, uh, yet alone in a town or anything like that. That's not important. I mean, there are other things so much more important than the money and the things that money buys. Thank God and the age of 22, I found Christ as my Savior. That changed everything. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. All that's going to end. There's coming a time, by the way, also when all the books are going to be balanced Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. What about the hypocrites? Hey, they're going to have to give an account. By the way, you will too. You will too. It's not just the hypocrites. It's not just those church members that hurt your feelings. It's not just that neighbor that made you living in that neighborhood, just almost a living hell. It's, and you're going to have to answer to God for what you do as well. Now, remember that. God's taking care of all that. Uh, the writer in Romans, the apostle Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Jesus says, what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
So you've got one who is almost consumed, but he's committed to the word of God. You've got one who is almost confused, but he went into the house of God and he heard what the word of God had to say. And then there was one that was almost corrupted. Go over to Proverbs chapter 5. This is an interesting passage. The whole chapter is interesting. In Proverbs chapter 5, an amazing thing. Notice in verse 14, he makes a statement. Now, we just read about one who was confused, and he went into the sanctuary of God, into the house of God, and suddenly he saw things brighter. But now notice this. In verse 14, the writer says, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. What on earth is he talking about? Well, in Proverbs chapter 5, this This young man received a bunch of warnings from the Lord. He says, for instance, in verse 3, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, or end as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to to death. Her steps take hold on hell, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of of life. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth, Here it is, remove thy way far from her and cometh not nigh the door of her house. Now that is good wisdom. Do right, do right. You know, everything's about the so-called beautiful people, the jet set crowd, the people are able to travel from country to country, live on the beaches and it's free love. By the way, none of that stuff is free. There's a price to be paid for every bit of, for the wages of sin is death. So here, this young man's been given real good instruction. But I want you to notice beginning in verse 12, he says, and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation assembly. What was this young man's problem? Here he is. He's at the house of God. Why is he almost in the midst of all evil while he's in the house of God? And here here it is. It was his attitude toward the word of God that put him in the midst of all evil. He had decided he's not going to hear it. Kind of reminds you of Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, when the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now get this. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Young people, hear me. Every teenager here, hear me. Adults need to hear me too. And young adults need to hear me as well. But teenagers, you need to get this down. At Madison Baptist Church, all all the time you've been coming here, you've heard the truth of God's word about righteousness. You've heard the truth of God's word about music. You've heard the truth from God's word about clothing. You've heard the truth of God's word about relationships with other people, about responsibility to your parents. You've heard the truth of God's word. And if you're not careful, In the midst of the congregation, as you hear the word of God being preached, if your attitude is, I don't care what the preacher says, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do what I want to do, you are in the midst of the assembly where sin is right at your door. You better be careful. You reject light, you'll pay the price for rejecting light. 
And sadly enough, here's the thing. We're trying to keep you from putting scars in your life at a young age that will affect you the rest of your life. And you're not smart enough to see that the instruction your parents are giving you, the instruction that the pulpit is giving you at Madison Baptist Church is for your good, not for your hurt. There's nobody here trying to keep good things from you. We're trying to keep the evil things from you. If you want to say, man, I want to have a good life when I become an adult, all right, do right. Because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You see, here is one who is almost corrupted in the midst of the church, amidst, in the midst of the assembly of God's people, all because he had a sorry attitude toward the parts of the word of God that he didn't like. I, I, I wish everybody could get a hold of this. You don't decide whether or not the word of God's true. God's already decided. I mean, if I got up tomorrow morning and said, you know, I'm tired of preaching that book. I don't think any of it's true. Doesn't change the fact it's still true. I know some people brag about it like they think their word actually changes things. You cannot believe the Bible all you want to not believe the Bible, but it's still true and it's to your detriment not to believe it. God didn't give it to hurt you. He gave it to help you. He gave it so you wouldn't have to have a lot of the heartaches and heartbreaks of life. So get a hold of it and save yourself all kinds of problems. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, here's the sad thing. Go over to Proverbs chapter 1 just a moment. Proverbs chapter 1. For a person who has the type of attitude as that young man in Proverbs chapter 5, they decide they're going to do what they want to do. God has already issued a warning, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 1. He says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel... And would none of my reproof. Now, what he has just said, if you make that decision, this isn't just good for teenagers. This is good for adults, too. Doesn't matter your age. If you get to the place where you say, I don't care what it says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, there are going to be consequences for that. And here's how God responds to it. Notice verse 20, uh, uh, 25, uh, verse 26. But I also will laugh. This is God speaking. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me. Look at this. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord 
They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. We want to think we can go out, just do whatever we want to do. We don't care what God says. It's not going to matter because I know as soon as I get in a little bit of trouble, when it starts getting too deep for me, I can just call out to God and God will just step in, get me out of it. And he says, no, I won't. He said, I'll laugh at you. He said, I'll mock you because you made a decision that you were your own God. You made a decision that you were the foundation of wisdom instead of God being the foundation of wisdom. So what do you want three years from now, five years from now? A lot of it's going to be determined by how you treat the word of God today. Almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. The reality is a wise man will hear and will increase in learning. How many people have saved themselves a heap of problems by just taking God at his word and following him? So we see one who was almost consumed, another who was almost confused, another who was almost corrupted. And then finally, we see that almost again over in Acts chapter 26. Turn over there, Acts chapter 26. And we're going to read verses 27 and 28. Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul is standing trial before King Agrippa. He has given the testimony of his salvation experience in meeting Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. And notice in verse 27, Paul is speaking. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Paul responds. Now, some have said that Agrippa was saying, so easily you're going to convince me to be a Christian. That's not what it says, but there's. You read some commentators, that's what they're going to say. If that's still the case, he said, I'd still rather everybody be as I am and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But think of Agrippa's statement. I mean, with what he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What he's saying is, even if you've gotten this close, you haven't persuaded me yet, Paul. Here's one who was almost converted. And as far as we know from history, he died and went to hell. What a shame to die almost converted. The Bible is very plain about going to heaven. You say, well, but you know there are a lot of different ideas about going to heaven. Yeah, I'm not concerned about ideas. I'm concerned about what does the Bible say. Because the Bible tells us actually how to get to heaven. And he tells it in very plain language. You say, well, why do I need to be converted? Because you're a sinner. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us where sin came from in Romans 5, 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. And there is no difference as far as God is concerned. We all have the same problem. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross of Calvary and he died for me. 
He was the one man on this planet that didn't deserve to die. He didn't have any sin. He was absolutely blameless. He is holy. But on the cross of Calvary, God took all of my sin, took all of your sin, and put it on his son, Jesus Christ. And since the wages of sin is death, now he had to die for my sin and your sin. The Bible says he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. When he came out of that grave, hallelujah, that proved to everyone in the world that the payment has been made and accepted by God for your salvation. So what needs to happen? Well, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He didn't say, but as many as received it. You don't receive Christianity. You have to receive Christ. He is the one that saves. When the Philippian jailer fell down before Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, he cried, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gave one of the most profound answers. Simply this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now Jesus gave an example of that. In John chapter 3, verse 14, referring to an Old Testament story, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to die on the cross for us so that we could be saved. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to go to heaven, but he's not going to make you go to heaven. You want to live and die without Christ? He'll let you do it. He provided a way to heaven for you. If you don't take it, when you go to hell, you won't be able to blame God. It's your own fault that you died without Christ. But as many as received him, To them gave me power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In Acts chapter 17, he declares, In the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, and hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Have you been born again? You say, well, preacher, I'm thinking about it. Oh, listen, don't be almost converted. You need to get this settled and come to Jesus today. I wouldn't wait. You're not guaranteed of another day. Bible declares, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In Proverbs 29.1, he even warns us, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Have you been born again? Don't leave here almost converted. Several years ago on Interstate 75, from Cincinnati to Columbus, there was a mail truck that was making route. The mail truck somehow caught fire. I don't know if it's an electrical fire, gas fire, or maybe a combination of the two, but the mail uh, truck caught fire. fire. There was a lot of important mail on there, including a great number of checks from the federal government uh, made out to people, but all the contents of it were destroyed. 
When they came back to the mail truck to do the investigation to try to figure out what took place, among the items that was pretty much destroyed and unusable now was a fire extinguisher. Now, here the thing was on fire. They had a fire extinguisher right there. It gets destroyed in the fire. It could have put out the fire. Having a fire extinguisher didn't put out the fire because they didn't use it. Understand that right here today, if you've not been born again, if you don't have the assurance of going to heaven when you die, you could get it today. That no matter what happens tomorrow, heaven would be your eternal destiny. But I got news for you, friend. You die without him. Doesn't make a difference how many churches you've been in to hear exactly the same message. You'll wake up in hell to burn for eternity. Do not leave almost converted. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Dear God, deal with hearts today. Lord, there may be some here. They're almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation because their attitude toward the word of God is totally wrong. They're thinking somehow God will bail them out at the last minute while they do whatever they want to do right now. I pray, dear God, you deal with their hearts. Some are confused. They've reasoned themselves in to a reason to not believe God, and they're wrong. May they see it today. And get committed to the word of God. The one who was almost consumed. But he made a decision. He was going to follow your word. Your precepts. God deal with hearts today. May decisions be made that please you I ask. In Jesus name.